Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, uh, you may continue eating your Lucky Charms or whatever you're having for breakfast, uh, but uh, thank you uh, so much for tuning in to Calvary St. George's on this what feels like 87th Sunday after Easter. And so uh, we are in it, and um, one of the things that's really stuck out to me over the last couple of weeks is the gentle term for quarantine. Um, it is, uh, you've, you've probably used it as well, sheltering in place. I like that. It has a very George Orwell kind of feel to it. Um, but uh, I like it because place is extremely, extremely important. But place is so much more than just, well... A place. It is a family. A place is about a community. A place is about relationship. This is why, although we may be sheltered in place, that place, without all the meaning and relationships connected to it, feels less like a place. I remember when I was a kid, my favorite place, I had two of them in the world, was Newton, Iowa, and Pleasantville, Iowa. Now, why was that? Well, it was because my grandparents lived there. And I remember when my maternal grandparents died, uh, my parents and uh, my mom's brothers and sisters, they took all of their furniture, a lot of their furniture, the real antique stuff, and had put it in a condo in San Diego. So whenever you would go to that condo in San Diego, and San Diego has all sorts of memories for me as well, whenever you'd go to that condo and open it up, you'd get hit with this waft of my grandmother's house. This fragrance would just fill my nose, and all of a sudden I would recall Dutch letters. If you've never had a Dutch letter, do yourself a favor and order one. Um, Fresh-cut grass in the summer, uh, corn stalks blowing in the wind, uh, checkerboard onion rings, and great times with my grandparents and family. After they had died, I I went back to uh, Iowa several times, and uh, there is a part of me that loves it extremely, and it's filled with all sorts of memories, but it's not the same. Because it was never about Newton, it was never about Pleasantville, but about the people who made it the place. I've been thinking about a lot of this in light of Calvary St. George's. I love Calvary St. George's. I've picked out a niche. I am here. But without all of you that makes Calvary St. George's Calvary St. George's, it's not the same. It's just another old place. And I use this illustration because I want this to be the lens by which we begin to understand what our gospel reading is all about. Our gospel reading is traditionally the gospel that's read at funerals for Anglicans and Episcopalians. Talk about a time, a funeral, when you feel connected and disconnected to a place at the same time. And the context for our gospel reading is the Last Supper. The disciples were afraid. Jesus had been talking about his death, and their future seemed very kind of uncertain, and everything was sort of in the air. And Jesus speaks directly into this uncertainty and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The essence of that statement is this. Believe in God. Believe in me. Jesus is going to go on to say, they're one. And then I'm preparing a place for you. This is the essence and the definition of Christian faith. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. There's a place for you. When Jesus speaks of preparing a place for you, he's not talking about a place filled with clouds and harps and halos. Jesus is speaking of the means by which he takes our humanity through his death and resurrection into his glory. And this is my first point. When Jesus speaks of a place, it's not about the locality as it is the personhood. Because it is only through Jesus' death, through his resurrection and glorification, that humanity comes to the place that is truly home. You remember St. Paul speaking in the Areopagus? In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is your place. And in Jesus you have a place that is truly home. Jesus is your rock. Jesus is your shelter in the midst of the storms. And he is, he, 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 he is, he is these places because he's died for you. Because he's risen for you. And he's promised, as our text tells us, to come again for you. For if sin and death, you see, here's how it works. If sin and death are to be destroyed, the very things that uproot and destroy that which makes a place, truly a place, well then sin and death must be destroyed in the place that makes a place. Human flesh. So when Jesus speaks of a place, he's speaking of himself. St. Thomas then, totally confused, asked Jesus, well, how are we to know the way? Because the gospel is counterintuitive. Because it's not about some sort of abstraction. It's about real flesh. And not about what you do at all. So Jesus speaks right into that. And he says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He goes on to say, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. I remember a couple of years back, Ben and I were uh, participating in a funeral at a very prominent Episcopal church. Um, uh, the guy had a niche up there and had been a longtime member there, but had started coming to Calvary St. George's and we'd all become good friends. And uh, Ben was there to preach. And at this particular church, they cut out that line, and no one comes to the Father but through me, in hopes that they wouldn't offend anyone in the congregation. 
And I was so pleased because Ben went ahead and read it. And I was like, yes. And so when I was sitting up there in the chancel with all these clergy who got really anxious. Now, it is true. This passage has been used by some Christians as a truth bludgeon to sort of shame and downplay other people's belief systems. But you see, the thing is, is that if people are thinking about the world and God through Thomas's lens right now, well, what do I have to do? No matter how heavy you push that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him, they will resist it. Our instinct, our instinct, I mean, if, if we still think we've got it together, then this comes across as total law. And we will, I mean, offered one way, we will want seven ways. And offered seven ways, we'd want 20 ways. And offered 20 ways, we'd want 22 ways. Because we're not going by the way God has appointed on our own. We will resist it. That's what we are as sinners. But this is why John 14 is traditionally read at Episcopal and Anglican funerals. This is why John chapter 14 speaks to us in a, and all of it in its entirety, speaks to us in a fresh way and a healing way in the midst of the pandemic. Because all of us have reached the end of our ropes. All of us have tried to fix it. All of us have tried to exercise our will, and it hasn't worked. All of our partnerships with God are just falling apart right before our very eyes. All of the strides, all of the accomplishments we've made, all of the ways we've paid for ourselves, just falling apart. But when you've reached the end of your capacity... When my willpower isn't cutting it, well, then this speaks to you as gospel. Jesus is the way. Not to show the way, as that cheesy song used to go. But he is the way. He is the way. Jesus is the one who stands uniquely between the Father and your fallen humanity and your failures healing the breach as your only mediator and advocate. When I've reached the end of my rope, that's good news. Give it to me. To know that in a world where the term fake news is thrown around left and right, when truth has become so subjective that it's your truth and my truth and all of that, well... To know that Jesus is the truth. I mean, wrap your mind around that. Truth is enfleshed now in our humanity. And is the cure to the ultimate pandemic of sin and death that has since our first father, Adam, permanently displaced humanity. To know now that there is truth to which all truth ultimately finds its meaning. That's gospel. I need this. And to know that in a world where we are more aware than ever that death is a real thing and that Jesus is the life that enlivens every living thing and that even death now must bend his knee 
because Jesus has conquered him by his death, and that his life is now yours and mine by virtue of his grace and mercy? That's gospel. I need that. And so do you. And this is my second point. You want to know what God is like? You want to know who God is in the midst of a pandemic? In the midst of a sheltering in a place that seems so familiar but doesn't seem like your place anymore? Look to God in the flesh as he has revealed himself to you. Jesus Christ the righteous. There is no other way to the Father. He is the truth that all other truths point to. He is the life who by his death, death has surrendered to. And he is preparing a place for you. He's not up there with his arms crossed hoping you'll find him. He is coming to save you. Now Jesus tells his disciples, If you do not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, then believe me because of the works themselves. What does that mean? Well, or in other words, the point of the miracles are to confirm the fact that I am who I say I am. That he is the very reflection of God in healing the blind, the lame walking, uh, the deaf hearing, all of these things illustrate and point to the fact of who he says he is. But then Jesus makes an even bolder claim. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, what in the world is that all about? Is this some sort of like kind of a prosperity gospel kind of thing? What's going on here? What does Jesus mean? Well, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you see that the supernatural events that were associated with the Apostles, they were never the main thing. The miracles were always for the purpose of confirming the teachings of the Apostles. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised him and made him Lord of all things. And they heralded the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation between God and humanity, that it was all available to the world now in Jesus. The miracle confirmed the teaching of these twelve guys. And with the Spirit working through them, the Father was glorified. And they took the gospel to the very edge of the known world. I mean, by the time the disciples had finished their ministry, they had taken the gospel from Sp- to Spain in the west and almost beyond India in the east. And in quarantine, this is still true. Greater works than these are happening because we are a living temple built around that cornerstone where now... Spiritual sacrifices take place. We have Calvary St. George's on in your living room. And your skeptical roommate with his bowl of cereal has tuned in. Hey, how you doing? Um, The Father is being glorified through the Son right now through Calvary St. George's in living rooms in Korea, Sweden, England, Norway, California, Washington, Texas, Florida, Alabama, and the list goes on. 
in places we would have never thought of going. I was just cool to keep it in Gramercy Park. And as a church, it should be our collective prayer that God would use this time for many to hear the real gospel, be converted and added to the fold. For this and through this, the Son glorifies the Father. And this is my third point. Every time you share the gospel, the good news with people, that Jesus is the truth, the way and the life, That in him, no matter what they've done or who they are, they have a place with God. They belong with God. Because of Christ and his shed blood for them, let me tell you what, the blind can now see the gospel. The deaf can hear the gospel. The mute, your roommate eating cereal, begins to proclaim the gospel. And the lame now get up and walk and continue to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, even now by sharing this service. And when the gospel is preached and it is believed and it is received, the dead are actually raised. And I can't, for once again, I can't wait for us all to be together and handle the mysteries of the new New Covenant, baptism and communion and remind prisoners that they've been set free by the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood and pour water over people's heads to remind them that they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and like St. Peter says, proclaim the mighty works of God. So while this all may seem very ordinary, preaching, soon again baptizing and communing. Remember, Jesus has placed his name on these things. And remember, it may be hidden now, but the ministry we are involved in, heralding the gospel, is extraordinary and it is supernatural. And it is exciting to share the gospel. And greater works are you doing. And I cannot wait for us all to be back in this place. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.